we pick up the story of John the Baptist. He said to the crowds coming out to him to be baptized, you brood of vipers, who warns you to flee from the coming wrath? Bear fruit that befits repentance. And do not say to yourselves, we have Abraham as our father. For God can from these very stones raise up children of Abraham. And even now the axe is being laid to the root of the tree. And every tree that does not uh, bear good fruit will be cut down and thrown into the fire. So the crowd said to him, what shall we do? And he said, if you have two shirts, share with the one who does not have one. If you have food, do the same. And to the tax collectors who came to be baptized and asked, Teacher, what shall we do? He said, Collect no more than you are required to collect. And to the soldiers who asked, What are we to do? He said, Do not extort money. Do not falsely accuse. Be content with your pay. This is the word of the Lord. Thanks be to God. Be seated, please. Well, one thing we can say about John the Baptist, he sure knows how to hold a crowd. Group of people comes to him, a very large crowd, and the first thing he does is he insults them. And then he gives them homework. I wonder how many were back in the pews the very next Sunday for John the Baptist. Not many, I would guess. I've really pondered that this week. Why would John give these people a to-do list? And part of me thinks, well, you know, this is John, not Jesus. Maybe he forgot this grace and belief and forgiveness business and he went into the works. But you and I know better. We know that John stands in the tradition of Elijah the prophet. We know that John is filled with the Holy Spirit. We know that John is doing exactly as God has called him to do. So why is John giving these people a command not to believe, but a command to act? Well, maybe part of the reason is they they brought it up. They said to him, well, what shall we do? And so he answered in kind and gave them instructions. But I also think there's something else. I think John realizes that there is a connection between belief and behavior. I think we know that instinctively. I think we believe that if we uh, teach the right truths to our, our children and to others, they'll do and act and say the right things. And I think part of that is true. But I also think that there are other things involved. And that is that we can invalidate our beliefs by the way we act. We can actually work against our beliefs. Uh, There's a wonderful chapter in a book called Who Is This Man by John Ortberg. His subject is actually something else, but I I think the things he says really fit. He talks about Mark Twain, who is uh, supposed to have said this. There was a man uh, spouting off, a wealthy man, an unscrupulous and greedy man, who said he was going to travel to the Middle East. He was going to climb Mount Sinai, and from the top of Mount Sinai, he was going to sit down and read the Ten Commandments. And Mark Twain is reported to have said to him, why don't you stay here in Boston and just keep them? There is that connection that our actions can can invalidate or validate our beliefs. Orberg talks about years ago, 30,000 people from the American Heart Association descended upon Atlanta. And at this particular conference, they were putting forward their push for, for a healthy heart eating habits, for low-fat diets. But the people in Atlanta in the nearby restaurants noted how many cheeseburgers and bacon cheeseburgers and ice cream were being consumed by these 30,000 people. And one of them was asked as he ate a cheeseburger, 
aren't you afraid you're setting a bad example? And his response was, no, I took off my name tag first. (laughs) The people of God don't have that luxury. We can't take off our name tag. John the Baptist knew it. There are people watching and they will make their evaluation of our beliefs based not on those beliefs, but based on our behavior. But there's more. I think John knows what Jesus knew, and actually I think what all the great leaders of the faith back to Moses knew, and that is that it's by right behavior that you come to right thinking and right understanding. That it's by the way we act that we come to deeper belief in God. That it's not that our understanding will lead to obedience, but it's actually our obedience will lead to understanding. The Jews had 613 laws. Some of them they didn't understand, but they kept them anyway. And in the keeping, they came to know more about God. Their hearts and minds were changed by their actions. It wasn't the other way around. Reminds me of a a great story that was written 115 years ago by Max Beerbaum. The story is called The Happy Hypocrite, uh, a fairy tale for tired gentlemen. The story is about a man who lives in Kensington, in London. Uh, his name is Lord George Hell. And Lord George, Lord George Hell is a wealthy man. He's a gambler. He's a womanizer. He's unscrupulous. He's cheated many people in business dealings. He's become very wealthy. He is at uh, a place eating uh, with his lover. And a, a show comes on, a review. And one of the dancers is a lovely, sweet, innocent woman named Jenny. As he watches her, a dwarf sitting near his table shoots him with an arrow. We find out, of course, that's Cupid. And immediately, Lord George Hell falls madly in love with the sweet, innocent dancer Jenny. As soon as that show is over, he leaves his lover and he goes and finds Jenny and proposes marriage. But she refuses him and says, I can only marry a man with the face of a saint. Well, he is despondent and broken and he wanders the streets all night comes outside of town to a small area of shops the next morning, finds a man named Mr. Aeneas, and Mr. Aeneas actually makes masks for a living. And he has him make him a mask of the face of a saint. And his lover has followed him there, and she sees him put this mask on. She calls out to him, but he ignores her. He starts to make his way back to his Kensington home. But he stops and looks in a brook to see his new face in this mask. And when he looks up from the brook, on the other side of the brook is sweet, innocent Jenny. So he leaps the brook, proposes marriage to her again, and this time she accepts. And things change. On his marriage license, instead of signing his name Lord George Hell, he signs his name Lord George Heaven. To everyone that he's ripped off, he gives the money back to them with interest. He gives large donations to charity and to the needy. He leaves his big mansion and moves to a smaller, more modest woodman's cottage. And there lives happily with Jenny. About a month later, they're eating out and his lover, old lover finds him. She says, I want to see your real face one last time. And she attacks him. And in a tussle, she takes off his mask. To her surprise, to his surprise, his face face underneath the mask has taken on the contours of the mask. And his face under the mask is even more saintly than the mask. Jenny feels like this has been a test. 
He's been testing her to see if she'd love this mask uh, and not showing how much better his real face even is. And as the lover leaves and Jenny and George embrace, the mask melts in the sun. And he has become what he has acted. He has become what he has worn. He has become what he has done. On this Sunday in churches all over the country, I suspect people are coming and saying to their pastors and to their priests and to their Sunday school classes in light of the events of Friday, what shall we do? And maybe some will offer a deep word of theology. Some may offer something that will give them a new or different emotion. All I can offer you is what John offers, which is this. Love the needy. Share with the poor. Live lives of integrity. Be light in a very dark world. Let us write a new chapter in this story.